Anu hoti hoti anu hoti anu mimitraim hoti anu mimitraim die nu die die nu die die nu die die nu die nu die nu die nu die die nu sing it wall here comes Peter Cottontail, hopping down the bunny tail trail. Hippity hop and look at Peter go. And welcome everyone to episode number 102 of the Light Shed podcast on today, Thursday, a day early, the eve of Passover and Good Friday. How are you guys? By the way, Rich Greenfield, Walt Pisick, and Brandon Ross, as always. Do you know what Diano means? But yes, what does I it do. mean? What does it mean? Um, it's very important for today's stock market activity. So, what does it mean? Uh, I used to know this. Well, I'll give you a hint. It's, it means it would have been enough. It would have been enough. <laughs> I knew that. So the question is right, and then you the go through is, all the things. I, I should know this. Is it enough today? <laughs> the question is: Is it enough today? Is is the, the, is, is what Elon's bid enough? I think that's where I was going, Brandon Ross. You caught on quickly, but that was a very good song choice, even though you weren't doing it for that reason. I mean, you got me there, Rich. I you know. outwitted me. I, it's it doesn't happen very often. I'm going to feel good about this today. I'm sure you'll remind me of that time you outwitted me for at least the next two years, Walter. <laughs> Walter just doesn't even know what to do with us right now. Oh, he just Scotland. got this segment over. Uh, very lovely. Lovely. Rediscovering ha- the Scotch whiskey. <laughs> I still have to say I prefer Irish <laughs> and Kentucky bourbon, but Scotch, I've, I've learned a lot about. What is your favorite Scotch of the last week? Uh, the single malt from, uh, from Isla. Which is oh, so you like it smoky. I-S-L-A-Y. That's smoky, yes. right? Yes. Very good. Yeah, it was good. Um, without further ado, I think we should bunny hop over to our first slide so we can discuss what's happening with Elon. And as a caveat to our listeners, we are recording this at 11.22 a.m. on Thursday. So by the time you listen to this, it is possible that we hear from the Twitter board on this. There is at least going to be an all hands on deck meeting for Twitter employees. So there will be more color out there, but you will get our take as of the current moment. Rich, would you like to go ahead and read the slides? Sure. I mean, I woke up at 620 in the morning. Could you be on CNBC to talk about the headlines? And I looked and it's Elon Musk launching. This is from The New York Times launching a takeover bid for Twitter weeks after he became the platform's largest shareholder. Must offer of 5420, note the use of 420 a share, would value the company at about 43 billion, which is basically where it was. I mean, it wasn't far from this level back in uh, late 2021 and was obviously substantially higher in the 70s a year yeah, ago. Yeah, high 70s, I think, a year ago. Uh, obviously, there's been a major sell off in the tax since then, and all the you know, platforms have faced some headwinds in the interim period as well. Um, Walt, what was your initial reaction? Not completely surprised. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I was trying to think like, were, was I too harsh on the management and the board last week? Um, because I think at the end of the day, this just shows how unpredictable Elon can be. I still think you know, at, at first blush when, when, you know, cause one of the things that happened prior to this bid, as you know, is that he walked away and there was that like word salad press release that the, that the company put out. Um, so I don't know, it, it still feels like they botched this. Um, 
And the fact that Elon can come in and make this hostile bid just shows that the management team is not doing a great job at monetizing their products well, and developing it. I think that is the key thing that you hit on. I think there's actually a lot to unpack here. I think we should probably go through what Elon's thinking first and then what the consequences are for the company. So does Wait, do we any, know what Elon is? Well, this is this thinking? is my question. Does anyone think they can do the Atticus Finch and step into the shoes, the mind? of a madman <laughs> in terms of what he wants to do. Yeah. What does he want? I mean, my initial reaction when I read this was, especially after seeing the 420 that jumped out right away was this is an ongoing troll. My thought was I mean, he doesn't pri- really want to buy the company at all. Probably not. And the reason I thought that was also in consideration of the recent fact pattern of tweets that he put out over the weekend, including, but not limited to, that Twitter headquarters should be converted to a homeless shelter, that Twitter should start accepting Dogecoin, that Twitter should get rid of their only source of revenue in advertising, that, and the biggest and and most controversial one is, fill in the blank, Rich, Twitter should remove the W from the word Twitter in their company logo, which would make it titter. So it's, it's, you know, I, I look, I, I don't know what he wants. If you look at it on a percentage basis, the offer for Twitter is not a rounding error, but leaves a substantial amount of couple hundred billion dollars um, to his name. I, but I don't know, or no one does exactly how he'd get the financing, how he would, what bank would allow him to pledge his Tesla shares for it. Um, the fact that it's best and final and there's no willingness to negotiate feels like he's not really, yeah, I don't know, you know longing for, for the him is asset. the same as best and final <clears throat> for other people. And the other thing is, I think a lot of those tweets that you were mentioning, Brandon, the polls, um, I th- or poll, whatever. I think if you look at the the timeline, they occurred after it was that he knew. Because remember, Twitter didn't say he was not a board member until after the fact pattern of when it happened. So I think that could be reactionary to the fact that he wasn't going to join the board at that point. Now, is it also reactionary to that? And in the same vein that he launched this bid could be and very specifically took a shot at management in his filing without having yet said what he would do differently other than free speech which you know i think again that's well that's the next issue rich right but it does he have to say what he's going to do differently when when it's a, a product that's known for being slow and developing and you've got a, a someone that's that's um the iron man of our generation that develops products quickly on in multiple industries i guess uh, i mean he's sending is- people into space he's revolutionized the electric um the electric vehicle industry he's boring fucking tunnels um you know so like <laughs> i don't think a person like that that's like saying like okay if steve jobs were still alive and he didn't say what he was going to do like, okay, it's still fucking Elon Musk. It's true. Um, he, you know, it's weird that if he wanted to do this, if he easily could have set up, you know, he, you were making the point, why didn't he just wait till 420 to do this? Like he could have lined up financing, had secured financing and made a fully financed bid um, for it. Ver- Potentially you know, with other financial sponsors. Or even his own balance sheet if he wanted to pledge his shares. I mean, he could have done many things to secure financing for this. It is interesting that he made an unsecured or an un, you know, with, with no financing in place and making it contingent upon that. It's just an interesting data point. Oh, I don't really know how to explain it. Maybe he's aware that there'll be a back and forth in terms of price. Well, but then he why said say best, best and final. final. It's just weird. It's just the, all the fact well, patterns. He's buddies weird. with he's be, he's buddies with Peter Thiel. Like it's it's viewed as a company that's under or or not well run. I don't. I'm not sure if financing risk <laughs> is the top risk that that um elon would have to try and get this to, to attempt to get this deal done 
Right. But you have some pretty powerful board members, Brett Taylor, who runs Salesforce, Patrick Prestet, who was CFO of, of Google. Um, you know, you have a, pretty you have powerful Egon. board members that were willing to wave him onto the board not long ago, a week ago. I mean, enough well, I with the glorification of the Twitter board. Look how they they've already played this thus far. And look at they don't the, look the like CEO they don't look they like they're approved. in control of the situation. They don't look like they're in control of the situation. Okay, so that's can for sure. We stop like glory. I mean, every podcast I hear, they're glorifying the board as these great names of people. There was, and this is not a great analogy, but like, I just can't help when when people glorify board members to think about the Theranos book. And like, just because someone has a great name doesn't mean they're necessarily doing a great job at every single thing that they're doing. Well, so let's bring up the other tweet because I think that's a great point. Well, I, are we actually done unpacking this part? Because the other issue there before we get to the next tweet sure. was this free speech issue. And when you're thinking about what Elon's objectives are, that's the thing that he has continuously highlighted, that Twitter is a public town square and should be treated as such with the ultimate freedom of speech. And that and should panic be his, his goal if he wants to actually take this private, which I'm not sure if he does or doesn't. But, but I think that should scare regulators, right? I mean, the idea of like, you look at what's happened with not, well, all of these platforms are getting criticized. I mean, even I don't care whether it's Facebook now, Meta, Instagram, TikTok, they're all getting criticized for not doing enough to control speech on their platforms and to prevent, you know, misinformation, harmful speech, hate speech. So the idea that one person is going to personally own this who has no desire to control any of those things seems like it is going to be a huge problem for regulators, both here and around the world. They're getting criticized from one side. <laughs> right they're not getting criticized from another side and then That's vice versa depending on the platform so when true. you say they're getting criticized like yeah they're also getting applauded and saying that they should remain open for people that have gotten banned on some of these platforms so i guess it depends on the lens that you're looking through well this may get to the psyche of why he even would acquire it right because he no doubt if he takes controls off of Twitter, is going to wind up be before Congress, like Zuckerberg has, and his predecessor, what would be his predecessor at Twitter. So that is a huge battle that he's going to fight. Does he want that public forum to make a point? That could be it despite the fact that it will be highly distracting from the 50 other projects that he has going on. Uh, he just, he creates distractions for himself anyway, first off. And, and secondly, um, you know, look, I think we can all agree that if it's a private company, this is not free speech. If people understand the concept of free speech, let's put the public, whatever the, you know, whether this is enough people that it's like actually a public square free speech is when the government <laughs> says that you can't say, I mean, this is not. So the point is, however, if you actually use free speech, which Elon has in this context, he's telling you what he's going to do, which is he's going to wave all those people back on that weren't previous that got kicked off, that got kicked off. I mean, how's that not clear as day? And yeah. And allow people to say whatever they want to say. Absolutely. And, and so your point is like, oh, he's not going to want to take that? Uh, no, I didn't challenge. say that. No, I no, no. said I said the opposite. I said in his psyche, perhaps yeah, his reason for doing this is to get that exact public forum. And it's worth $40 billion or whatever it may be Dude. to him in the context of his net worth. The guy thinks the earth is going to end. This is one of his favorite playgrounds. You're talking about time spent, right? And how people get switched over to TikTok. This is one of his favorite places to play around. And it's not as fun to play if certain people aren't on there. So like if it's burning money because it's getting increasing his own playground to have to have what he considers to be free speech, that's the game plan. That is also, though, directly at odds with advertising revenue, right? Because there's lots of advertisers who won't want to be involved. If you look yes. at if you were to look at Fox News advertisers versus he about advertisers, I think he talked about he subscription in his tweet. He can try to convert this to a subscription platform. We'll see. I mean, people have tried something like that before. Not an easy thing to do, but I guess anything is possible. Uh, the bottom line is we do not actually know Elon's intentions here, of course. And right. we're, we're kind of just trying to get into his head in this conversation. 
there's arguments both ways. My gut is that he doesn't wind up actually acquiring this. So, well, we'll look, see. I think Mark Cuban had a great tweet this morning that I think we should read is every major tech company, Google, Facebook, uh, and all is on the phone with their antitrust lawyers asking if they can buy Twitter and get it approved. And Twitter's on the phone with their lawyers asking which can be their white knight. This is going to be interesting. And I think it marks a central point is, is that I think, Brandon, you and I have said for a long time, going back probably five years, Google Twitter is the perfect marriage. Like, yeah, it's just of the course. perfect combination, right? But we always thought legally it could never get done. And so the question is, is does the threat of Musk owning Twitter change the government's view of consolidation? I think that is an interesting question, perhaps. But why is it now all of a sudden, just because Elon did this, that Google and Facebook etc. are going to be checking in on buying this asset. It's not like they haven't, this is not a well-known asset that no, they've probably if, looked at 50 I think, I think times before. Point, I think his point was that, that they're going to sneak in during the noise. But I think that's, again, it's like if you're Lena Khan or whoever you know, a DOJ would look at this. Like, it's not like you're going to miss this. <laughs> you know, I, I, mean? I, I don't get it. I, I don't see why well, they why they it, believe it, this is an opening for them to potentially buy this asset. They could have bought opening. this asset for twenty dollars a share at the time Salesforce and Disney were negotiating for it, and it, it was only- probably more strategic at that point than it even is now. And there wasn't the same government noise at that time. So now. Cuban thinks that there's going to be some process and these companies are now actively thinking about how to buy it or considering buying it doesn't make much sense to me, but but okay. But that's what happens in corporate America, Brandon. I mean, we've seen that happen before. Once one company buys another company or attempt is made, all the boards, you know, this is fact, right? Boards, you know, gather together and whiteboard out and say, what should we be doing? Whether we think it's smart or not is that's a different story, but that's typically what happens in these scenarios. Well, and I also think if you're fearful, if the government is fearful of Musk owning it for the free speech reasons that Brandon, you were just talking about, <laughs> is there an alternative to prevent that? So would you be more it's willing just so to weird here you say that the government is worried about it because of free speech? <laughs> that there's too far. Again, right. Rich, you need to parse your question. The current, your, your gar- the current government. The one of our government. And it's not, it's, I think the uncontrolled how do we put this in a better way than they're worried about free speech possible manipulation that can occur on the platform if it did if it is fully unregulated as it did sort of around january 6th and events like that can you manipulate these platforms for bad reasons i guess that would be the government's fear hmm. you're not convinced walter i can tell <laughs> Brandon, Walt, why don't you read Fet, Adam well, Ryan's tweet? Walt, fill it in. Now, let's move on to the next tweet. Okay, so we're, we're going to stick on Twitter here. Um, go to our entrepreneur in residence at Lightshed Ventures, Adam Ryan's tweet. The New York Times executive editor says he wants reporters to spend less time on Twitter, claiming it's harmful for journalists to live in its echo chamber. Do you agree with him? The old filter bubble question, Rich. I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's a tremendous amount of debate. I mean, I see when I I look at sort of the apes and what's attacked me, like there seems to be a pretty hefty two-way debate that happens on Twitter on a pretty regular basis, some of it pretty angry. So yeah, sure. What you follow interest-wise certainly brings up your own filter bubble, but the, the open discussion and the fact that anybody can follow and anybody can um, comment I think actually leads to a pretty healthy discussion in a way that if you think about a platform like Instagram or Facebook, where it's only your friends and you never have outsiders. Yeah, those, I think those aren't really, I mean, well, Instagram is certainly not a discussion platform. Facebook has at times been, especially when they've been a little more news heavy. I do personally find that on some topics, i.e. around technology and debates crypto. about like the you know, the future of crypto, sure. et cetera. There are some healthy debates, albeit they are generally 80-20 um, based on who the, the poster is and leaning towards the way of the poster. But in terms of political debates, et cetera, 
I find that it is a massive filter bubble, an interpretation of general political news and world events, a massive filter bubble. And I almost never see people responding unless it's to a major political figure like Biden or Trump to the opposite side. It's usually people in complete agreement. I think a couple of years ago, Twitter, I'm sorry, uh, the New York Times had um, restricted their their reporters um, from <laughs> tweeting on on Twitter. And, I, you know, I saw Farhad Manju and and Mike Isaac, who wrote uh, We Pumped, um, have tweeted a lot less since then. And, and I think that was in part to reveal the uh, inherent bias that may exist there, as everyone, I think, probably has some level of bias. But to say that that now to encourage your your authors um, to not go on Twitter <laughs> or, or because you're going to be in the bubble, like so you're going to re- have less information. OK, first off. And then second of all, that these people are so incompetent that they can't take in information and be able to process it. Maybe you should be hiring a different news reporter if they can't even process information that they're lo- that they're looking at on Twitter. Just thought it was interesting because you think about like what Trump says, the biased and the fake news, New York Times. And this is in a very active move to try and take some of the bias out. So they're not going to be biased because they're not going to be on Twitter. How is that going to work? No, I'm I not think sure that, it's going to work that way. I think oh, it, I'm not going to look at Twitter. So suddenly I'm going to have a more balanced. No. Deal. No, I think you're extrapolating a little too far. I think this okay. is exists more in shades of gray. I think you are less likely to get positive reinforcement about your own opinion, which leads you to a more open mind and a more objective observation of the facts. If you don't have everyone agreeing with everything you say and reading one side of the news, which is something that I've personally seen happen on Twitter. Okay. I mean, you're a reporter. That's your fucking job. Like, I don't, I don't even understand. Well, I mean, I just don't understand. I don't think we could and do it. Not everyone's, good, not not everyone's good at their jobs. Well, <laughs> well, I, well, look, I have my views about the New York times and why I do or do not read it. Same thing on the wall street journal and the, the stuff that Rupert puts out. So you know, the source and like, you know, whatever. I don't know if you just kill the sources, like you can use Twitter as a source. You can use the New York times as a source. You can use Rupert as the source and then try and come up with the facts as best you can. I personally recommend people read the economist or the financial times. Moving to a less controversial topic. (laughs) Or is it? Well, actually, I don't know. It's, it's a good point. It's certainly less politically um, controversial, but Deadline Hollywood Dancing with the Stars is moving to Disney Plus in a stunning move after 16 years on ABC. This is something that you know we've been writing about for a long time, is that if the media companies, the challenge is they have all of this content. Most of their big content sits on legacy platforms like broadcast TV and cable network TV and movie theaters. And if they really wanted to put their money where their mouth is on leaning into streaming, they would start taking content off of those legacy platforms and putting it and premiering it first on streaming. You know, we saw a little move with this, like where, you know, we recently um, saw that what happened with Halo, where, you know, Paramount moved it from being on Showtime and putting it only on Paramount Plus, you know, sort of a small example, but certainly showing obviously Disney's done it with a bunch of their movies where they're starting to put some of their movies directly onto Disney Plus versus going to theaters. But this is the first time we've really seen an existing, not a new piece of content, but an existing piece of content, certainly not the ratings it used to have, but ripping it off of linear TV and saying the only place you can watch this is on Disney Plus. And it feels like a pretty big deal for the industry. I mean, it's also interesting. It didn't go to Hulu. It went to the platform Disney owns and controls in Disney Plus. But, you know, we've been pushing Iger. Even though it's general entertainment, because again, I mean, it shows a couple of things. One is Disney Plus is going to become also a general entertainment platform, which raises the Hulu question. And Rich, you wrote a piece this week that suggested that Hulu be sold to Comcast NBCU. Well, it's it's I guess it's more of an intellectual debate, right? Is if is if 
if Disney Plus can be something for everyone, you know, Walt flagged to us the parental controls that showed up on, on the app when he was watching one of the Marvels or Lucasfilm series. Like once you start realizing that Disney Plus can have different forms of content and you can put blackish and grownish and now dancing with the stars. I don't know, like, why can't Disney Plus be sort of a catch-all for everything? I mean, overseas, there's a tab called Star, and it has the Pamela and Tommy Lee show. It has lots of content that you wouldn't want your kids watching, but it's in a separate tab with parental controls. And so if Disney Plus can be a global juggernaut with all forms of content for all different age groups, why not sell Hulu and pocket tens of billions of dollars if you're Disney? Like, I just don't get it. Well, the question there is, and Rich, perhaps that is the next step, and Chapek is starting to believe that that may be the right choice, because otherwise, then you have Hulu really starting to compete with Disney Plus for content if they're both attacking general entertainment. And just the FX content, that style of content, isn't going to be enough to fully support Hulu. So it would, it actually, logic starts to dictate that they get rid of it. Then the question is, is there a buyer? Because NBCU would be the obvious buyer. However, they have Peacock. Walt, that's your cue. <laughs> to do the peacock head nod no to complain about peacock <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna let peacock off the hook for this week no, no i mean it's just it, brandon i think it's a great point but it's just like first of all i can't imagine comcast not wanting to buy it i think shareholders probably would love it because it's a lot of capital going into something that's not making money uh, and it's showing a further commitment to the entertainment business versus you know waltman talking about the growing pressure on the or you know on the broadband business from uh, you know, both fiber being built by the telcos as, as well as wireless connectivity. And so I think that's where investors want to see them focus, not on, you know, some getting bigger in the streaming world is certainly not what Comcast investors are, are hoping for. But I do think that if you're looking at NBC and the assets, you need to have a bigger streaming platform and buying Hulu would give them a very scaled business that would really help Peacock kind of, you know, really supercharge Peacock very quickly, fold it in, whatever you'd have to do. Yeah, you would probably fold it in, right? Because from a traction standpoint, it's not like Disney Plus has more traction than Hulu. Hulu would have more traction than Peacock, right? Sure. And I think that would be the logic. And, you know, go and if you're Disney, I think Disney shareholders would be ecstatic. Sure, they're losing 44 million, you know, sort of subscribers to streaming, but the capital they're getting and the simplicity of just having a single strategy, right? It's all, everything is Disney plus now. And we'll figure out ESPN plus over time, but it's a single strategy. Every that's why you go there. It gives you more reasons to go to Disney plus every night. And it basically shows you, this is the path forward. And it gives Chapik the one thing that I think investors are waiting for. I, mean, I think the reason the stock has sort of been floundering, it's, you know, sitting at 131 right now. I think people just want to know what is the actual direction. They want to see Chapik be decisive the way Iger was decisive early on. And maybe the reason for waiting on this Hulu, the, maybe the reason we haven't heard yet, because we've been frustrated by not knowing, we keep saying it's going to happen and nothing happens. Maybe it's because they're changing their mind. Like maybe it's that simple as you sort of just laid out, Brandon, is that they're having a change of, of view on what to do. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously it would give them the opportunity to delever a little bit sure. or utilize that cash that came in for additional content investment into Disney plus into that general entertainment give Walt more to area watch. Of, of general entertainment, give Walt more to watch, give me a reason to watch in the first place. Right. Seriously. And then you have a very defined strategy. You layer on some attachment to the parks and to CP in the app, one strategy and away you go. It makes a ton of sense. I actually thought that observation from you, and I don't give you that much credit often, Rich, was brilliant. But but it may not happen because the last piece of this is just it takes a willing buyer, right? So Brian Roberts has to be willing to spend 24, 26 yeah. billion probably of cash to buy this. Maybe there's an asset to trade, but I can't figure out what that asset would be. And I don't know. No, go ahead, Brandon. I just go said, ahead. I don't know who the another buyer would be besides that. Sorry, go ahead, Walt. No, I was going to pivot um specifically using the word pivot to something else he could buy because according to professor galloway the way the now 
Warner Bros is going to go is going to go bad. They're not going to get subscribers. And he predicted that they will sell HBO for 20 billion. So maybe Disney or Comcast <laughs> could buy HBO and what beef up their own streaming. <laughs> he he well, also said that John Stanky, right? Well, the bet, yes, Rich, the best part of the prediction was because Kara Swisher was pushing back on Pivot about this about oh getting shareholder proof is like no 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 all you do is go to go to you know the majority owner AT&T and John Stanky and get on like what well, wait a minute uh yeah AT&T doesn't own 70% in <laughs> Warner Bros that was distributed to their shareholders so no you're not calling up John Stanky you're not getting some deal to reduce debt this decision rests in one hands man friend of lightshed David Zaslav. And I just there is want to... no way David Zaslav is parting with HBO at <laughs> well, who any would, uh, price. First of all, what CEO would part with HBO? We're in the streaming mm-hmm. wars. We all agree that there's probably going to be three survivors and you want to bulk up. So you're going to get rid of your fucking crown jewel. Like, come I on. I may man. have to go listen to this whole podcast just to hear <laughs> the whole lead up to what happened because I can't fathom that somebody would say, look, the deal may His go bad because. He was in Brazil, so Lord knows, and I say this because he says What does that have podcast, to do with anything? Well, you don't know what type of drugs he was doing as he was on his surfboard. <laughs> he says it himself, Brandon. Is this so, an Aliasco like, retreat? Is this well, one of those? He, he I know, ayahuasca. That's, ayahuasca. Peru, that's Peru, Rich. Oh, um, he's in Brazil, but he's long on Brazil, too. Meanwhile, Brazil's going through a major election change right now where Lula uh, is trying to take over for Bolsonaro. And for some reason, now is the time to be bullish in Brazil. But I digress. What are those drinks that that you drink? Too many caipirinha. Yeah, I didn't really like caipirinha. Caipirinha. I also do want to note that Twitter has now gone negative on the day. Hmm. It just shows how people don't believe something's going to happen, or maybe something's leaking out of the boardroom (laughs) from that high-quality boardroom that you know is so great. I'll Brandon, what you want to read? IGN? Let's let's head on over to the tweet from IGN. Epic uh, Games. Can I just digress? Yes. Well, no, I'm sorry. This is. I this would is, love. What, what I'd love to this? hear from you, Walt. No, Brandon. This is called. What's the word? I footnoting. Foot, I was. About this is not footnoting at all because I hadn't started yet, Walt. I was so about what, to get one last shot in at the Twitter it. board. Do it. Was this is the same part that had a part-time CEO in place for how many years? They did for a long time. What a board. Although right. Elon Musk would sort of also be a part-time CEO. Who said he's going to have a board CEO. as a private company? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bring in Ledger. He can do that. He can run Ooh. that. Walt has a crush on Ledger. We all know it. <laughs> if you want to talk to him, Walt, he's on Clubhouse <laughs> eight hours a day. So you could hop in and DM him. Clubhouse. <laughs> Does Clubhouse still exist? I still, I am not even kidding. I, I still get alerts um, from Clubhouse and they're always John Ledger. He's in like the dating room too. Well, so there you go. Dating room. All right. I will read the next tweet to get us out of this. Thank you. Epic Games and the Lego Group have announced a new collaboration in which the two companies will work together to create a child-friendly space within the metaverse. Brandon, what do we got on this? What do we got? Well, let's start off with the fact that there was an investment that occurred. There was a round that occurred in which Lego was a participant in buying Epic Games stock. It was the round was at a modest premium, I would say, to the last round, which is actually kind of interesting, given the kind of the collapse in Roblox um, shares and Facebook slash meta shares and general skepticism around the metaverse. But I will digress um, on what this means. Lego and Epic are going to get together and create a sandbox for creators, a quote, metaverse platform for young creators that will have much deeper controls um, than you will probably see on Fortnite Creative, a different feel than Fortnite Creative. And it will be in sync with the Legos that happen outside of the digital world. So again, melding that physical and digital world. 
Lego is a very interesting partner because when we think about this space, who do we think about? We think about Roblox, and this is certainly a Roblox competitor that they're looking to build. But you also think about Minecraft. And what has Minecraft been compared to for forever? Digital Legos. So I think it is, um, it's a very, very interesting um, partnership that's occurring here. And it's another thing for Roblox to have to think about competitively, because this is going directly after the heart of their core user. We talked about Fortnite Creative being an age group that sits directly above Roblox, which is where they want to go from here. Right. This is theoretically, this could be Roblox's biggest challenge yet to its business model. I mean, We'll see. Again, I mean, again, Roblox does have that creator flywheel that is very well intact and the building of a social network on its platform. So there is stickiness there. Um, And uh, this is going to take some time before we actually see it launched. We've been waiting for the new Fortnite creative mode to happen for forever it was supposed to happen in i don't know a month or two now we're hearing 23 hearing the ipo isn't going to be until 23 so we can kind of hold our horses on the roblox competition i think that's a great point we we literally on this podcast you probably could go back two years ago and we were talking about fortnite creative so you know i do think that's important context of we don't even have fortnite creative before we even get to this like it's pretty crazy that um it's taken this long But when you talk about competition, I think that should probably bring us to a next slide, um, which is um, what's coming out out of Meta. Um, So I'm going to go and read Tech Memes tweet here. Meta's plan to take up to a 47.5% cut of each virtual transaction on Horizon Worlds draws criticism from NFT proponents because OpenSea takes a two and a half percent cut. Okay. I, what? I, I don't even want the OpenSea is not the competitive platform that, <laughs> that, uh, that we're talking about. The competitive platform to meta is going to be fill in the blank for me, Rich. iOS. From the standpoint of an app store? Roblox. We're talking about Horizon here. We're talking about Horizon. Okay. So Horizon World is is trying to become a metaverse platform in much the way Roblox is, in much the way Epic is going to with both this Lego um, platform and also Fortnite Creative, right? Okay. Now, Roblox, do you know what percent um creators are getting of their bookings each quarter a relatively small percentage has been the challenge yes it has grown massively over the last uh, couple of years teens? from 16 or 17 to i think it was 21 or 22 last quarter i was in the ballpark that is a massive difference with the you know as low as 52 and a half percent take that uh meta is going to take so that is something from a competitive standpoint for roblox shareholders that they're going to have to keep in mind and we have highlighted epic you know, making the splits much more favorable for creators now meta is going is doing the same thing so the that is thing something is, is that to meta watch was out for. for this but but meta no, was attacked I, that, for this that's all week the, yes that's the irony of it and i was looking at that and i was like well first of all there's a 30 percent platform fee if you're doing it on oculus that's included there and it's actually only 17 and a half percent if you're not on oculus if you use a different platform albeit i'm sure there's going to be the 30 percent platform fee for whoever's platform you're on Still, bottom line, I don't think any virtual currency in and out, which is how Roblox gets the extra dollars, but it is much more creator friendly than what Roblox um, has been giving, albeit it is coming up. Breaking news that Prince um, <laughs> Alawid Talal 
basically came out in support of Twitter and said he's not selling his shares. That fifty-four twenty vastly of Twitter. Sorry, in support of Elon Musk, saying Elon's offer substantially undervalues Twitter. I thought that's not in support of anything. That's not in support of anyone. He's just saying that as a shareholder, he would vote against Elon's offer. It's not in support of the company because we don't know if the company is accepted or not. You're assuming they aren't, which is a fair assumption. Yes, but you. Yes, I am jumping to the conclusion. Yes, I agree, Walter. You're right. You're right. Words Um, do matter. Thanks, Prince Alawid. I, I honestly, when Rich said he was coming out, I was like, "Now that's some fucking scandalous shit right there." Okay, Um, based on the laws of that country. (laughs) So, so so Paramount had their well, also. Well, I'm not going to let's move on. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> Paramount had their biggest movie since I think uh, since 2014 with Sonic uh, opening huge opening 71 million in the US 140 million worldwide. But that's not why it's on this slide. I mean, obviously, it shows that Paramount can can make content that people want to watch. But the interesting thing here is, Brandon, yet another company trying to get into the Roblox game with a Sonic game being made like it seems like everybody wants to be on the Roblox platform, like literally everybody. I'll just give um, our listeners some color from our ventures business, because we actually do have some pretty deep involvement in ventures in some of the studios and those who are trying to professionalize the Roblox platform. There has been a significant amount of inbound from brands and media companies trying to create big experiences on Roblox, so much so that the studios can't keep up with the demand. So that is an important thing to watch as this UGC platform really continues to become more professionalized and brands become an area of potential monetization on the platform. Just something to keep in mind. We did talk about the challenges that Roblox may face competitively, especially on the splits. But this is something that is actually going very well in their favor and not something that is obvious to investors right now. So we have sort of, I think, one of the best tweets of the week, which is uh, essentially we've learned that CNN Plus was heavily influenced. The concept of CNN Plus was heavily influenced by our good friends at McKinsey. And we have Adam not our Singer. Good friends. They are not our good friends. <laughs> Why not? Rich, Rich we specifically Rich. use that, that. I was joking. I was joking. Term. Well, sometimes just like texts and tweets, jokes don't come off right. We are not friends at all with McKinsey. But it was the interesting. So what, what I'm going to compare. How do you know if Rich? Rich might have a friend that works at no, McKinsey. I, I have sure. no friends at McKinsey. Why did you say like they were our friends? Kidding. Yeah. I was joking. Now no one's gonna believe you when you oh say that God. someone is a friend yes. of Light Shed. That's my point. And That's you just point. marginalized all the friends of Light Shed and all the mentions no, no, that we make of that. Uh, not I marginalized, but devalued. He you're right, he did, but it was a real-time edit. And rest assured to our listeners, when we say someone is a friend of the podcast or a friend of Light Shed, that is a genuine term that we have for those people. Uh, in any event, the, for our podcast <laughs> listeners, the tweet that you see on your screen, or first let's go to the details, CNN executives with help from consulting firm McKinsey originally expected to bring an amount around 2 million subscribers in the U.S. in the service's first year and 15 to 18 million after four years. So the, the reality was that, um, and this is from Lucas Shaw um, saying our story, CNN Plus surpassed 100,000 subs in week one provide your own context, which was basically obviously an utter failure. And then um, I think there was less than 10,000 DAUs is what CNBC broke at some point during the week. So the tweet comes from Adam Singer, who I think sums it up well. He says, McKinsey are literally the inverse of the Bobs from office, excuse me, the Bobs from office space. It's exactly like bringing in more useless mid twit middle managers. So, um, of course, so, OFC, I'm sorry, OFC, so of all the hall monitors love. Anyway, what we don't have here is Adam Singer also related this to Quibi. And I think, Brandon, you specifically in, in, were early yeah. in saying like the Quibi model sounded like it was built by a bunch of consultants. Yeah, when in that, fact, I believe McKinsey did play a role well, in Quibi it, as well, which is nuts because I just I remember going into 
I, I'm so sorry to any of the ex-employees of Quibi, but the first time we went in there and we heard Jeffrey's pitch, and then the second time with Jeffrey and Meg, the first thing I said is, this literally sounds like it was invented by a management consultant. But according to that's why I thought- <laughs> And then it was. <laughs> that's why I thought of you during this tweet is because Adam literally related this to, to Quibi. So I think they, they did have a role. And it's just so crazy that you could think that you were going to build a massively scaled, I mean, a high teens, millions of subscribers for CNN, for news, news, which effectively feels free on the internet, like that scrolls through Twitter free every day. Like it's just sort of, honestly, it's just shocking that anyone could have believed those numbers. And the fact that they're investing hundreds of millions of dollars a year I got to believe this is one of the first things that Listen, Zaslav and team just, you know, crush from. Uh, we know overall. we all know what's going to happen, right? Every media company is turning into a super app, sure. right? So everything in MVCU is being moved over to Peacock, everything in Viac, like CBS um, combined with all the Paramount stuff. I shouldn't say Viac. It's now Paramount um, in, in, you know, Time Warner or Warner Bros. Discovery, you, you have the combination of the Discovery app with HBO, and now you'll add CNN onto that, and that's just what you're going to see. Now, I realize that our podcast listeners probably over-indexed in terms of the subscription only because you're a curious media or you know person in the space that wanted to check it out. But for those that didn't, like myself, just know that one of the featured um, talent on CNN plus was Scott okay. Galloway. I thought you were going to say Chris Cuomo. <laughs> was it, was he too? I don't know. I didn't look. Oh, well, Chris Cuomo. Well, I'm not going to say, cause that's a not necessarily reputable biased news source. We won't talk about what the news was that came out about Chris Cuomo this week. Let's move on <laughs> to the next tweet, Rich. We've already uh, been asymptotic been to, to the lines. Yes. I've really been <laughs> we controlling are. myself. Well, well, Walt. You don't know how to control yourself. What happened well, to you in Scotland? You, sh <laughs> you should. Yeah. Let's just move on to the next tweet. <laughs> John Oran's got inside Formula One's media strategy. It's seeking upward of 75 million per year for its U.S. media rights. ESPN currently pays around 5 million per year. They should they just send a thank you to Netflix? Yeah, that's it. No that's way. the takeaway. That's literally the takeaway. Thank yeah. you, Netflix. And look, you have to hand it to um, to Maffei and Co. They bought the company, I think, right out of the gate. You didn't kind of see the progress um, that or the low hanging fruit that everyone expected coming out of Ecclestone's hands. But they've continued to work at it. They've made a very smart decision in making the shoulder content with Netflix. They've done some really smart things in terms of adding races, especially in the United States in miami and now vegas and um yeah they're going to get paid i don't know if it's going to be 75 million paid have heard some mixed things have heard numbers that's a that 15 a little that's bit a 15 i know i know have heard numbers south of there as the realistic outcome but nonetheless a massive step up and they, well, played it, the, they and by the way they played the long game right they started off not taking fucking anything it also doesn't hurt, right? That you've got essentially, you know, two new tracks coming in, right? Miami opens up this May, and then you've got Vegas being built now. So you're going to have three Formula One tracks in the U.S. on top of the U.S. broadcast rights being sold on top of Drive to Survive continuing to grow an audience on Netflix. Wonderful. Congratulations to the Liberty Complex. Uh, it's Next. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, this oh podcast God. is amazing today. Uh, Brandon, why don't you read this? Cool. It's back to Netflix. The segues have been impeccable. Mark, thank you for setting up the podcast so in such a smart order this week. Netflix is introducing a new, quote, two thumbs up rating option, which will give viewers the ability to express when something is truly special. The 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 craziness here is that Netflix basically has moved away. They used to have like the star system, right? Where you could rate things one, two, three, four, five stars, and they 
sort of got rid of that. And they, they had sort of always said that like, all they really cared about was whether you watch, not what you rated things, because what mattered and how the algorithm worked was all about what you- Two minute watches. No, no, actually not on- <laughs> Sorry, Netflix, That was not controlling yourself. That was not controlling yourself. Well, no, that I, I will never control myself <laughs> on that. For podcast listeners that don't know what I'm referring to, at one point, Netflix would count a view as two minutes watching at a program, which wouldn't even get you through the through the opening credits. One it thumbs no up per minute. It, it, it no longer works that way. But the, the question is, is they, they've always said their algorithm is driven by what people actually watch, not by what they say they rate or like. It's always based on actual watch minutes. So it's just interesting. Why are they bringing it back? Why now? I mean, they report next week, so maybe we'll get some color on why ratings matter next week or why they care about this again. I, I don't know what the point of this is. Um, obviously increasing in, you know, interactivity is never a bad thing, but it's just curious that they seem to move away from a rating system and now seem to want to go back to it for some reason. And I can't really figure out why. Speaking of neither can I speak. Well, I was gonna say, speaking of not understanding why, what I wanted to tee up is Amazon is changing the name of its free TV service again. So remember the first name of this poorly named service was IMDB TV's free dive. (laughs) <laughs> then it became, then it just became IMDB TV, which was like a mouthful and was, you know, I don't think many people outside of our industry know what IMDB is. And now they're changing it yet again. I think later this month, it's going to be called Freevee, F-R-E-E-V-E. That's a lot of E's. Yeah. I mean, I would have maybe, why not just call it free TV or okay, you know, obviously or Amazon they ha- TV? Dude, or- it's so obvious. They hired so McKinsey to uh, help them with their rebranding. And now, and now friend of Lightshed, Gary V should sue them because that Gary sounds v. too much like his brand. Yeah. Free V. What's the next one, Rick? Well, no, because I think what was interesting, I, I just wanted to say one of the oh, part th- of this, this is, is interesting. Well, what is interesting about it is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I can't wait. It, you know what's interesting to find? Um, we're about to find out what is interesting about this. That's what's interesting. <laughs> yes. so, Rich, why don't you fill us in? The, what's interesting is that they're actually greenlighting an original programming slate for the free service. And so despite having Prime Video, which is where they're spending billions of dollars a year, they're actually creating original programming dedicated for the ad supported or ad only free V. Again, not really clear why they want to have two services with fresh original programming. Um, Obviously, they just bought MGM. So maybe they're going to start to use some of the MGM library, some of the MGM brands and content. Obviously, there's a big reality TV franchise. um, Oh, true. Business is in there. Maybe there's right. So So I'm just thinking like maybe there's a lot more to just sort of how they sort of reinvent broadcast television in many ways as part of Freevee. I hate the name. I don't know why it's not just Amazon TV and it's not built into the Amazon devices with that name, but whatever. It's called Freevee. They seem to be putting a good amount of money behind it. And it'll be interesting to see whether they use sort of the MGM TV portion to supercharge it. Well, I think the one thing also there that people forget about is Amazon has a massive advertising business. Right. We, we, we talk about advertising on Twitter and snap and all of these, you know, digital platforms, Amazon's ad business dwarfs all of them put together. So, I mean, there, there is a reason to build out an ad supported product there. So we had USFL, which starts Saturday night. Um, with the first set of games is this Saturday. Fox owns it, but you can watch the games on Fox and NBC are going to simulcast the games. We actually had the management team that's been building this league inside of Fox on Lightshed Live earlier in the week. And one of the things they talked about, and we've got a tweet here from the USFL, first down measurements that are more accurate than ever. Take a look at the first down technology that will be featured this season in the USFL. And I just thought maybe just play this clip to talk about innovations. USFL technology to see if this was first down. (laughs) And they're basically using sort of a virtual first down line. Like you would almost do, like it almost looks like tennis, right? It looks like a tennis match. Dude, if this is how they're going to get people to watch the USFL, this is not going to work. This is the most exciting tweet that we could come up with about the start of the USFL was the 
fucking first down marker? Well, I think just using technology. I mean, there are technology. There are things that happened in the old USFL that actually informed the NFL. It will be interesting whether any of this technology moves over. I mean, you want to talk about the three-point play, and now you can get a three-point extra point versus a one- or two-point extra point by starting further back. I don't know. That seemed less exciting than this technology that I think a lot of fans would love to see plays actually properly called versus Walt going. I don't think it's a, like play the calling. first down of our, I, I think the things that Walt goes crazy about are the penalties it's in particular, the PI pass interference stuff. That's true. But first the spotting of some of these line judges that need to get on a fucking treadmill um, is also Hell, really bad. Whoa. Well, they're just not healthy, Brandon. They're not getting to the spot quickly and accurately enough. So that would certainly help, but I'm not watching just because, you know, and, and look, a lot of people do watch because of Ed Hockley's guns. Yeah, I'm sure that he's gone. Thankfully. Um, oh, I forgot a couple that. other ones that I've tweeted, but look, you know what I've said on Twitter when I've complained about the ridiculosity of, <laughs> nice word of this massive money and not putting money into technology and getting better officiating and more simplified officiating is it's still the best product. And it's crazy that, um, you know, the drama, the storyline, especially the last season, but like it's consistently the best product um, that's available for live television or none. And I look, and I'm a huge EPL fan. That's the second best product. No, And the question is, is like nothing these, touches the NFL and USFL is going to be a fraction of that. And I think, at best, you know, like they're hoping for a couple million viewers a night, which would still be more than the NBA. But I think the interesting topic really out of all of this is if the USFL can sustain itself with several million viewers a night and head into season two and three, et cetera, it'll be most interesting that football now becomes a year round sport, right? Like, because the only thing that really matters on television is pro football, college football. And if you add it on USFL, right. it basically eradicates the other sports because then it's just football all year round is the only thing that matters. And I look, I haven't seen the product yet and you're going to need fans. I think what we learned from the, from the pandemic is fans are very important for the experience. Um, but at the end of the day, like if I had a choice between watching some football where I'm going to know some players and watching any baseball game, I'm picking football all day long. I know that's not the choice of many people um, that a lot of people are still into baseball, but, I, but that's your, that, you know, that's kind of is supportive of your port, uh, your point, Rich, which is you provided all year round. The bigger issue is it's not, who it's not touching the NFL. It's what, how oh. does it cannibalize these other half-assed sports that are out there? hundred sure. percent. I, I mean, that, look, that should be, that should scare baseball. That should scare basketball. That should scare hockey Sure. to the demand side for football. Right. These games are taking place in Birmingham, Alabama. If you see the Alabama spring game, right, which is, you know, the uh, player, the teams playing, splitting up and playing against themselves. I think it's probably crimson versus white. Those games sell out. Right. Mm -hmm. Just spring uh, internal football games. So there is. A large we've had rabid. professional football leagues, but that's different. That's a culture. We've had professional football leagues in the in the past that have not been able to fill stadiums. Maybe the content was was not generated the best, but well, it's just much- interesting that they're doing it in Alabama, where you do have that rabid fan. Is my point. yeah? Look, I, I I thought that's what, and I think look, um, the the um, MLS is doing fine, but that was my original thought on MLS go to smaller stadiums, you know, make it localized, get a very, you know, a localized different base as opposed to the big cities, um, which theoretically you can do by going to the kind of these second markets, just like I think minor league baseball might be probably more attractive to some people than going to a professional game because of the experience. Let's move on to a second to last tweet of the week. We've got, um, the Batman will premiere on HBO Max one week from today on Monday, March 18th. will also air on HBO on Saturday night, April 23rd at 8 p.m. We will continue to play in cinemas where it grows $359 million at the box office. So there's a couple of really interesting things in here. First of all, this is sort of the, the, the one of the big t- takeaways from the Jason Kylar era at, H- or at Warner Media, now Warner Bros. Discovery, 
but basically removing the DVD window. So it used to be a movie came out in theaters and 45 days later, sorry, 75 days later, it was available on to buy on iTunes or to buy on Amazon. You could download a digital copy. And then on day 90, after box office or after theatrical release, you could go and rent it on DVD or get it out of a red box. But the, the window to actually show up on an HBO or a Netflix was essentially six months after theatrical release. And so now you're getting it 45 days after, you're not just getting it on HBO Max, you're actually getting it as well on HBO. They're going to air it on linear TV 45 days after it came out in theaters, completely blowing up the DVD business and ending that DVD business, I think, for good, but also showing the how they're DVD trying to get- DVD business. I know, but it still, it still exists. It's sort of crazy that it still exists, but this yeah, is basically- It probably exists for people who don't even have HBO Max. So. That's true. But I think this is the point of their leaning in, just like we talked about Chapik earlier with moving Dancing with the Stars. This is real progress on getting more content earlier. And I think it'll be interesting as consumers realize all of these movies are available for free 45 days later. Do you go see the movie in a theater on day 35? Like, does it start to change behavior over time as you realize how much content is available at no extra cost on these services? That's one thing. And then the other piece of this, Brandon, is... You know, I think there's a meeting later today, right? With Warner Bros. Discovery, are things going to change? That's in like, 40 minutes. So when the listeners listen to it, they will know the outcome of that meeting. Yeah, but I don't think like I don't think big decisions no. like changing release no, 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 is no, no, coming no. out of this meeting. That's, but that's not what that town hall. Is sure, but but what is the strategy? Like, are are pieces of this strategy going to change, or has the pandemic permanently altered things like this? And movies are just going to hit streaming 45 days later. It's a pretty big change. I mean, six months to 45 days. It's not days. day and date. It's not, but it's very different than six months. It sure is. So uh, let's go to our last tweet of the week. Let's hop on over. Walter, which I think Walter should hop on over and read because this is his favorite subject. It's not, I have many favorite subjects, but yes, Rich, um, <laughs> while you and Brandon were singing the praise of Peloton as this new media company. Yes, I did point it as a future clothes hanger but today um the headlines from bloomberg is brought to us by zero hedge is peloton to cut bike and treadmill prices hike subscription fee which is i think beautiful i don't know if this actually means that they're hiking the subscription fee to the existing users or the new users it would be glorious if they went back to all those people that overpaid for the, those bikes that are not clothes hangers that they probably ride occasionally now and then hike their their fee even more. Zero Hedge concludes their tweet with, wow, Peloton is not bankrupt yet. (laughs) You know, I think the, you know, yes, it's funny. Yes, it it does show how Peloton is actually focusing on improving the economics of their business. Like the subscription piece is sort of really sticky. Like odds are if you have the bike and you use it at all, you're not giving up the subscription. And the subscription price, I think since launch has always been $40. But you're, I get it. But those customers are probably occasionally using it thinking like, oh, I'm an idiot now. If I cancel this after I paid two grand or three grand or whatever it is for this, this bike, I could have bought one for 500 that they feel they would feel like an idiot for canceling the monthly and they use it maybe one maybe they use the bike once a month so now they're saying like all right dude i don't care if you're using it or not we're going to jack you on the monthly fee <laughs> yeah i mean the, the average honestly of- look you brought in barry mccarthy to run this company barry mccarthy is an ex-CFO of Spotify and Netflix and is very well versed in what subscription economics look like so he is probably trying to figure out the sweet spot of the elasticity curve, identified uh, an opportunity there, and probably identified that they need to get more sticky subscribers, so drop the price of the, of the bike. That's it. Or, or, or this is a runoff annuity that you're like, all right, let's just increase the value of the runoff annuity. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that's being a little harsh. I mean, the average usage of these things is a lot more than once a month. If you look at sort of, well, there's, I mean, they know exactly how many times a device is used every single month. So, you know, is it down from where it was? Is it down from where it was during the pandemic? Sure. But these things are still being used far more than once a month. They're not, 
as you said, clothes hangers. They're certainly being no, used. No, the average is once a month, but let's look at the distribution of like, how do you get to that average? You're right. I do not know median, what the median is. I do mode, not know the median. Number of customers that are once a month. And then look, there was some doctors had pagers for a long time. <laughs> I can't believe that we're page, playing bunny hop. That, I still, I can't believe we're playing bunny hop. There for a while. I can't even hear it. I mean, you can't hear it. Hop, hop, hop. You can't hear that? You gotta get your ears well, now I it. can. I'd like to wish the happiest of Easter's to our listeners. And a happy Passock. Rich, rich. And hopefully we're not forgetting some other random. I just can't believe I'm going to Atlanta. Why? Volleyball tournament. Oh. Another volleyball tournament all weekend. You're such a good father, Rich. What can I say? Um, did we miss the part of the song where they tell you to make your ears? It's enough. It's enough. Thanks. Thanks for ruining everyone's holiday, Rich. Well, I'm just going to remove that well, part we'll of it. We'll I'm killing no, you're not. Like, no, you're not. That's, that's totally that's killing like you. a good family dinner table statement. Thanks for ruining everyone's holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>